Well, thank you, choir, and um, it's good to see you this morning. We're thankful that you are here and you're visiting with us. We just pray the Lord would bless you as uh, we uh, continue forward now in, in the Word of God. In the past couple of weeks, uh, <clears throat> I've helped two of my adult children, kind of got back with me during COVID, uh, to relocate to different cities. So I have spent um, several hours lifting, <clears throat> loading, driving, unloading, and helping set up their new digs in two cities not close to each other. And one of the great joys in my life and relationship to getting settled in a place or redecorating a place is hanging pictures and curtains. This, this task brings me great inner satisfaction. But seriously though, when you try to do this task the old-fashioned way as I do, it takes time to measure, that is not me, but uh, <laughs> to get each side even, to get the picture level. And one of my favorite things, I just stop and thank God for an orderly world. When I come to one of those picture frames that has a hanger on each side, you know, and um, it's a little triangle type of hanger, very small, on a swivel, right? And it's about 3 and 11 sixteenths, between 11 and 12 sixteenths down on each side of the frame. <laughs> and then trying to get that centered on the wall, I mean, it is a great great joy. Some of you may love doing that. And, uh, you know, there are lasers now to help you with that, but, but who needs those? You know, in approaching these tasks, as you measure, you seek to get it right, you have to be sure the line is straight on each side and distance from the ceiling is right so that everything is in balance. And you need to make sure the line is true so that when you're done, the room fits together correctly. And thankfully, we do have tools to help us with um, that task. These are first world problems, right, <laughs> compared to what the world goes through. But, you know, my toolbox is uh, full of levels and tape measures, a stud finder. I really um, have some tools that are versatile, and they can save a lot of steps in, in a project. Well, as we live out our lives on this earth, we enter a lot of different rooms and arenas, do we not, in which we have to gauge where we are, what's going on. We have to interact with the environment in which we find ourselves. We have to respond to it. And in fact, in our current culture, we enter into a lot of strange rooms. Things are very different for us living today than it was for Christians even a generation ago, and particularly Christians several generations ago in this culture. So just for example, uh, in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, where our government was basically founded, can you imagine the founding fathers and the early churches having to deal with uh, this request for a license, which would, was granted, by the way, because it's not the first year they've done it, but this is the Philadelphia uh, naked bike ride that takes place each year in uh, the city of brotherly love. And this year, uh, the, only, the only requirement is you have to wear a mask, right? That <laughs> just came up in my news feed the other day. I said, what in the world? And just think about it. You and I are living in a culture where people actually think this is normal. 
City officials give licenses and it's held up in praise that this is a wonderful, this is normal and natural to do. This is the society in which you and I are living, in which you're raising your children, in which you're trying to build your homes. Uh, it's a very different world, isn't it? And to build out our lives in the right way, to respond to this landscape as we should, we need to know where the true that is, the straight lines we are to follow and live by are. We may need to know them even to the point that we're willing to stake our lives upon them, our reputations upon them, our careers upon them, as we live in a world that is off-center and out of balance and even resistant to how God says life should be lived and the world should be built. We live in a nation and culture that in many ways would fall into what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 now, that it is full of people that are haters of God. And we find that at every level in our culture. A lot of wonderful Christians in our society, a lot of people that are faithful and have not bent the knee, but our culture is sick. You know, in using my tools to hang a picture or blinds or curtains, the tools that I use are giving me information, aren't they? And that information helps me act in putting the room together. And in comparison, it is imperative today that you and I need spiritual tools to help us live life the way the Lord says, to interpret life in keeping with God's will, to respond to life in a way that leads to true flourishing for us and our families and ultimately to eternal life. And so this morning, I want to launch into a series with you which I am calling true lines. And my goal is that through many messages, and I'm not putting a termination point on this series, but that through many messages that may take us some time, I want to teach you in a comprehensive, systematic way the Christian faith. And in this period of teaching and preaching, you're going to be hearing how in my own inner core of heart and mind, because I'm walking this journey with you, right? How I seek to process this as a believer and a follower of Jesus. We're on a journey together. And so we are called to help one another. And my desire is to give you my very, very best in talking through the faith as it is laid out in Scripture. And I hope that you will follow in your Bible. I hope that you will write down Scriptures to remember or go back and find them on the screen. I hope you will formulate questions that you may want to explore further. And let us know what those are as we go through this, and I will try to address them. You will hear me as we go through this series say some hard things that need to be said. But you'll also hear me say many reassuring things that will hopefully give you confidence and hope and strength. And furthermore, you and I, I think, will be challenged by the Scripture in some areas where we, we may be called to repent. And as we go along, I think the lines will become clearer and clearer as well regarding what is and what is not true belief, what is and what is not true Christianity. You know, the Scripture causes two reactions as it is proclaimed. The Apostle Paul talked about this, and this is not my text for today, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he talked about the reaction Scripture brings. And he said in verse 14, Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, 
an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? You know, if we're true to the word, that will always be the reaction as we make our way through this series. A stench in the nostrils to those who are perishing, an aroma of life to those who belong to Christ. And so, Father, I give this series now into your hands that you've put on my heart for a while, and I ask you to guide us as we go forward and to give you our best, and Father, that we might grow and all that you would have us to be and that we might stand and live as you would have us to in the pressures of the culture in which we find ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. To get us started today, I want to invite you to look at a passage in the New Testament that will sort of frame where we're going and give us a foundation upon which to build. It is found near the end of your Bible in the next to last book of the Bible in a little letter penned by a man named Jude. And so if you'd find that letter, Jude was a half-brother of Jesus. He was the son of Joseph and Mary. He doesn't use that to promote himself in his letter, but we know that he is James's brother who wrote the letter of James, and he is the Lord Jesus' half-brother then. And he would have been one of those who did not believe in Jesus as his brothers did not, until the resurrection. And the message of the title today is True Lines, Starting Points. And I'm just going to read the whole letter of Jude. It's only one chapter, but please follow along. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered His people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these He has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain, they have rushed for profit into Balaam's arrow. These are illustrations from the Old Testament. And they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blowing along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead. Their wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. 
Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. What's the last word? Amen. Well, I'll say amen louder to the Scripture than we do anything else as God's people. Well, there's so much here in Jude that um, I will not try to deal with today, but there are some central matters that we find here that, that we need to establish if we're intent on learning and living along true lines. And so as I introduced this today, there are just three things I want to draw from Jude that will help us as we prepare ourselves to move forward. And first of all, Jude reminds us here that as followers of Jesus, there is, there is content for us to learn as disciples. And so Jude, in writing of these early Christians, spread throughout the Roman Empire in a culture that in many ways is like the culture we're in now. 2,000 years ago, he shares with them that there is a, there's truth, there's content to learn. That is, he's telling them and their culture, you know, there are lines in the sand that, uh, that cannot be crossed. There are markers on the walls. There are directions you must embrace as a disciple and directions you must spurn or reject as a disciple. And obviously, you must know what those lines are, what the truth is, if you're going to make that type of uh, decision, right? If you're going to have that type of discernment in your life. And this letter by Jude, probably written not too many decades after Jesus' resurrection, still in the early decades of the church, Jude makes the point here that these Christians are already experiencing distorting pressure. It's coming from without in their culture. Their culture is rotten. And it's also coming from within by false teachers rising up. From early on, there have been those seeking to rise up to distort the message of the truth. And he alludes to them in verse uh, 4 following. He says that these people are uh, divisive, arrogant teachers. And they're apparently saying that because of God's grace, it makes it possible for you to do whatever you want to with your bodies sexually. And so down in verse 7 and 8, that's why he draws upon the Sodom and Gomorrah uh, illustration. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality. In verse 8, in the same way, on the strength of their dreams... These ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. 
Now, nobody likes to be confrontational. I don't like it. I'm very uncomfortable when I have to be confrontational. I'm not wired that way. I'm more of a peacemaker type person. I don't like those kind of... And Jude, nobody likes to have to do that, right? And Jude says, you know, I wanted to write you about our common salvation, verse 3. Jude says, I don't want to have to do what I'm about to do here. He says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, he says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted. I wanted to just talk about, you know, kumbaya, right, glory of Jesus, all that. But he says, no, you know, things are serious. And so I have to deal with, with what's going on in your lives, what you're facing, the teaching. It's got to be addressed, the false teaching." And so, as he begins here, for his readers and for us, the way he seeks to help them resist the pressure upon them to find their footing, to see the true lines, is he reminds them that we as Christians have a body of belief to which we are to adhere. It's there to guide the church and to protect them. And so, notice in verse 3, you may want to underline this here. I'm going to read it again. What does he call it? He says, I felt compelled to write and urge you, notice the language, to contend for the what? For the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people of the saints. So, he uses it in an objective way. He's not talking about faith in the sense that to the faith of your experience of believing. He's talking about the faith. The content of the truth of God. And so, from early on, the church had found in the Old Testament, because Jesus recognized the Old Testament as fully authoritative, and in the writings and the testimony of the apostles, and those recognize them, they have recognized a body of truth. And notice in verse 7, he alludes to the apostles. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. And so the idea here is that Jude says God has spoken. There is revelation from God that supersedes all other ways of knowing. Not that there are not other ways of knowing, and we'll come back to this, but it supersedes all others. And in the life of the early church, it got settled pretty quickly that the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books and letters of the New Testament, you and I know it as the word of what? The word of of God. God has spoken. And so that's what he's talking about when he says here, the faith once delivered to the saints. And this took place pretty early. They got this teaching settled in a a lot of ways pretty early. Because if you go to Paul's letter to the Galatians, one of the earliest letters, perhaps the earliest letter in the New Testament. And Paul hasn't even been a Christian that many years when this is written. And he's writing back to these new churches in Galatia who are struggling and they're facing false teachers as well. And in Galatians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul says that um, he, he was unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. That is, he got saved and all people were here. And this guy used to kill Christians and now preaching the gospel. And that's what he says. They only heard the report. Look at it. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith. He once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. So there is a body of teaching that has come to us, and we must give ourselves to learning it, living out of it. And this text says that we've been given it in a way, says that we're to contend for the faith. 
And Philip's translation puts that, uh, put up a real fight for the faith. It doesn't mean that we're putting up a real fight with the culture over the faith, but it means we're putting up a real fight to say this is where we stand, as Martin Luther would say. This is where the truth is. And, and it doesn't matter what you do to me, say to me, what you think about me. This is where we stand as God's faithful people. And Jude's trying to build them up in that way to say, you, you must know this line and stand in this place. And so as we begin today, I just want to say, this too must be our starting point. We must make a commitment to learning, knowing, being marked by and guided through that same faith once delivered. And notice, once delivered, that means it's complete, given to us, something done in the past, that faith given to the saints we must fight to apply it to our lives and our churches to deal with the ungodly pressures that come from without and from even within the church. At times, and we have several denominations that are splitting over, over this oh, very core issues now of who's going to be the true followers of Jesus and his word and who is not. And so we must fight in our lives. And this matter applies as far as learning the lines, learning the doctrine. This matter applies to the beginning believer if you're a new Christian. It applies to mature believers. It applies to pastors and to scholars. We must always be growing and learning because this Word is so wonderful and awesome. And so we must give ourselves to a growing understanding of the truth of God that has been revealed to us in the gospel of Jesus. And that doesn't mean that we're all called to be scholars. There are very few scholars you know, among us in, in, in life, Christian life. And, um, and it, it does mean, though, that we're all to give our best to this matter of discipleship. And we must, do so as a, we must do so as a community of believers to help each other along on this journey that we're on together through a world that is out of balance, off-center, broken, and fallen. So we're to learn the lines, or as Jesus put it this way, he says, if you continue in my what? Word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and it shall set you free, Jesus. And so through this series, my desire is to give you, again, my best in interacting with this faith once delivered that we can find in Scripture. I want to point you to people who are scholars that can help us have a better grasp of certain things about our faith. You know, I believe that we can accomplish a whole lot more than we think if we'll give ourselves to this wholeheartedly. We must know what we believe, know what the true lines are from God if we're going to put our worlds together the way they should be. We cannot live in the realm of where our culture lives, well, I feel this or I think this, or my opinion is such and such. I hear a lot of Christians do that, but you know, as the world talks about its values. No, we must understand what does God say, and is there objective truth, and I believe there is. You know, many avoid this task in the church today. Much of the American church is built around experience, and you may be drawn to that type of a model of church. Has its strengths, has its weaknesses, but I think too much of it today is built on experience in that sense. And many avoid 
this task in the church today of teaching carefully because they underestimate our people or they think people won't take the time to carefully learn or they think if I focus on this way as a pastor, people won't come. But I just want to say this, I I don't think that about you. I have a higher view of you. And I invite you to come on a journey with me. Several years ago, I knew a pastor who pastors a large church. He's still pastoring here in our Southern Baptist Convention in another state, a church much larger than ours. And uh, he was working on his doctor of ministry, like uh, what Kevin's working on now. He was working on his doctor of ministry. Is that what you're working on? Yeah, that's what I thought. So, at seminary, where I happened to be teaching at the time, and so I worked with some of the D-men seminars there. And uh, he had a guy in his church who was a, a, a wealthy guy, had his own airplane. So every time there was a seminar, this guy would fly him to Louisville and hang around during the week. And then when the seminar was over, he'd fly him home. Kevin, you, you're not going to get that. So... <laughs> But one year, as he was interacting with this guy in his church, getting to know him better, he introduced him to systematic theology. He gave him a systematic theology book. And the guy just began to devour it. And he said to his pastor, here's what he said. He said, why have you not taught me this before? And that pastor said it woke him up to the fact, you know, that Our people are very capable of learning. They need to learn. They need to be taught. And we can't let the church get dumbed down as it has become in much of our culture today. So we must teach. Now I want to encourage you as you leave today, you'll find in the foyers this little pamphlet. It's called the Baptist Faith and Message. This is a summary of the doctrine this church embraces. And I just want to encourage you to pick up one of these and begin to read through it. I'm not going to preach through it in some, uh, you know, through the Baptist faith and message, but we'll be interacting with pretty much a lot of the themes in here. And, you know, our faith and message is pretty much like historic Bible-believing Christians from the past, whether they be Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, Holiness, whatever. We may differ on certain things about baptism, certain things about the Lord's Supper, certain things about how do you come a church membership, certain things about religious liberty and how we look at it as Baptists. But on the core issues, this is just historic Christian teaching. Scriptures are at the bottom of each section. And I just want to encourage you to pick one up and begin to read through it as you work through this series with me because we'll be alluding to the things that are in there. Secondly, as we introduce this today, let me just say a couple more things. One, Next point, there is a person to know and experience above all. In seeking to live by true lines, we must grasp that there is a person for us to get to know better through uh, this teaching, as the things we learn. We will come to experience Him more. You know, verse 3, Jude talks about the fact that he had been changed. He says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, Jude had met his brother, who he found to be God, who died for his sins. And when he was raised from the dead, Jude put his faith in the Lord Jesus. He received the gift of eternal life. 
And you notice in verse 1, he says, my letter is to those, and he would include himself in this, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Jude is talking here to remind them and us that Christianity is ultimately not about information. And I'm not here just to try to give you a bunch of information. But Christianity is above all about transformation in a relationship with the living God as we walk with Him in this life, the living Christ. And that's why he says in verse 1, some translations, kept in union with Jesus Christ. We have union with Christ, the living Christ. And you know, Jesus made that point clear about studying the Bible. This is not about information, but it's about knowing me better, entering into a deeper relationship with me, understanding who I am more fully. Jesus put it this way in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. He says, you study, speaking to the, the Jewish leaders, he says, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But he said, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The scriptures are to lead us to him. As we learn over these months, we're going to be learning more about Jesus. And I hope that you come to know Jesus more deeply than you've ever known him in your life. And me too. Or in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 and 45, after he was raised from the dead, he's speaking to his disciples, and he says, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled, that is the Old Testament, it's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. What's he wanting them to understand? The scriptures about him. And he takes them through the scriptures, showing himself to them in all of the word of God. You're going to encounter Jesus more if you'll follow me on this journey. And so as we study Scripture, we're seeking to get to know Him better, to be transformed by Him further as we're in union with Him, growing in fellowship with Him. Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear My voice, and they follow Me, and I give unto them eternal life. And so it is as we truly come to know Him better, hear His voice more clearly, experience His Spirit more fully, that we will have that inner strength to live by His lines and to flourish in the midst of a crooked, decaying, and dying world. His Word will change your whole perspective if you'll give yourself to actually hearing it, ingesting it, imbibing it, taking part of it in your life. And that's why I chased to read 2 Timothy 3 this morning, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is God's breath, Paul writes. And it is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man or the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There is nothing on this planet more powerful than the Holy Scriptures to change the world and to change us in particular. And if you've not come to know Jesus as your Savior, what a great day to begin. Receive Him, the living Christ, to forgive you of your sins. Call on Him to be your Savior. And maybe you've understood enough of the gospel that you know you need to do that. 
You've heard his voice to that degree. Well, take that step of faith today and truly meet him and begin to follow him diligently. I remember some years ago, a member of our family who uh, once uh, back before uh, she was a a believer and then I, I knew her afterwards and in her testimony, she had not been taught much as a kid. She wasn't really taken to church. Family did not study scripture in their home. She visited many churches over the years as a teenager with different friends. I think she was baptized two or three times, but she did not understand a lot. Nobody really took the time to teach her. But one day, by God's Spirit, it all came together for her, and she understood she needed Jesus, truly. She needed to be forgiven. She needed God's forgiveness and power in her life, and she called on Christ to be her Savior. And she said, you know, that... From that point, everything began to fall into place regarding hearing the truth, building my life upon it. The things the pastor said now make sense. She told me this, and maybe you feel this way as well. She said, I used to come hear you preach. I didn't understand anything you said. She said, now I come and understand everything you say. And I've watched this person through the years continue to grow in their faith, Deepen in their faith, mature in their faith, in their relationship with Christ. I just want to encourage you to prepare to come to know Jesus more fully and deeply than you ever have in your life. And then the final thing I want to say before we come to a time of commitment is that Jude reminds us as well that there is a life we have to live. The point is that in God's plan, we don't usually get saved and go right to heaven. Now, the thief on the cross, he got, he got that, right? He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me where? In paradise. He didn't have to live the Christian life after he got saved. He just got saved and he died and he went, to, went on. But that's not the normative pattern for us, is it? No, God plans for us to live and grow. He has planned for you to get saved and me and to live on this planet, in this context. He could have chosen for you to live in the 1700s, but he did not. So he's chosen for us to live right now. I wouldn't like the clothes back then, I can tell you that. A lot of other things I would like. But that's not in my notes even. But God's plan is for us to To live and to grow, to be challenged and to be stretched and shaped by living on this broken planet. And he has chosen for you to live right now because this is the best time in his wisdom for you and for me to be living. To accomplish his good purposes in our lives on this broken planet. And there is much to overcome. There is a real fight to be in. Paul in his waning moments of his life in prison said, I have fought the good what? Fight, I have finished my course, and I have done what? I have kept the faith, Paul says in 2 Timothy. And so there, again, is much for us to grow out of and into. There's ministry to be done. There are marriages to be built, children to raise in the faith, witness to be given as we're God's salt and God's light in the decaying and dark world. In this letter, and I think we're living with similar challenges today, Jude gives some directives to help us, and just want to allude to these because my time is pretty much gone, but I want you to turn to Jude, verse 17 through 23, 
And Jude mentions a few things here that we need to, to do. So we've understand we've got to embrace the truth, and this is about knowing Jesus better. And then Jude talks about these false teachers, but he brings it back around and tells them some things they need to do beginning in verse 17. He says the apostles said that, you know, the world's going to be like this. But he says to them in verse 20, he says, But you, Christians, you true believers, dear friends, he says, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith. There it is again, right? So there is the holy faith. We're to build ourselves up in it. That's part of what this series is for. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Then he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. We must be a community that's praying. He's right into the community here, to the church. Build, these churches, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Be praying because you need God's power and direction, strength by the Holy Spirit. And then he says, keep yourself in God's love. We're to be people who walk with love as God's people. Love of the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves. We're to love even our enemies. Keep yourself in God's love. And he says, do all of that, he says, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, you wait for the second coming. You know, if we're truly living, looking for the second coming each day, we're not as likely to be pulled down by the world if we're looking for the next world to come. He is coming. This text says He will judge. He will take His people to Himself. He will destroy all that is in opposition to Himself. And finally, He says, while you're living this way, in verse 23, He says, also look out for each other. This is a tough journey. Help each other along. So be merciful to those who doubt, your fellow Christians who are struggling. Save others by snatching them from the fire, those who are getting pulled into the sinful lifestyles of the world. And he says here that you know, even the clothing stinks in that, the stained by corrupted flesh. But he says, show mercy mixed with fear. But the idea here centrally is we're to help each other to stand against the world and its dark values, its hatred of God, and mercifully help each other toward home. We will face false teachers and messages from within. We will face messages from without. Today we're getting pressure from both directions. We get it from false teachers masquerading as followers of Jesus. And we get it from the fundamentalist secular left with their religion. They're seeking to shove down our throat. You ever heard people say, you Christians shove everything down our throat? Well, the secular religion of our culture is seeking to shove everything down our throat. And if you won't capitulate, you're going to be punished for it. I just was reminded of that religious promotion of Pride Month in the mall in Greenville the other day. With um, loudspeakers talking about it, decorations everywhere. I never remember stores being religious about things like that in the fact that they're religious about this. And then also want to know if you want to round up your, uh, your uh, ticket that day to give to charity, and that was the charity that it was going to. They've taken up an offering in department stores as well. Right? That is secular, religious, fundamentalism, Without God, we have another message of hope and joy and love and peace and forgiveness and eternal life. And we must know it and live out of it. But that's the culture and the pressure we're under. 
And true believers, and over time this distinction will be made clear as culture forces you to either stand for Christ or to capitulate to its darkness. We must know the lines together, pray for each other, keep our hearts warm in love for God and others, and help stragglers among us who are struggling with where the world is going so they'll not be pulled along with it to the coming destruction. So that's the introduction to the series. I'm excited preach through this and it's going to be a lot of work I'd rather sit out by my pool and read a book I'm joking but it's going to be a lot of work but I, I promise you I'm going to give I already have it but more and more of my heart and soul in digging into the word to teach you the very best that I can would you stand with me as we come to a time of commitment today we're going to be singing in just a moment a wonderful old song at the cross. And as I lead us in prayer, I just want to challenge you to give your best to this. You know, the culture no longer affords you the opportunity just to live in a good southern, small, homey life because you live in the Bible Belt. That's how you live, and you're going to be swallowed by the forces of this culture, and so are your kids. You need to anchor in the Word, live in a community that truly teaches and reinforces the truth. And model it. I had a young father the other day in our church talking about this, recognizes the seriousness of the times and challenges being faced. And, and I'm so thankful for so many young families. Listen, in this church, I admire so many of you who are taking this seriously, studying the Word. So many wonderful things are happening with new prayer groups, Bible study in our church. And I want to say if you're visiting with us and you're looking for a church where you'll find other Young adults who are trying to study the Word and raise their kids and be a community together, you will not find a better body of believers to anchor in than this one. And I don't say that because I'm the pastor of it. I say that because it's true. And maybe some of you need to take that step to begin to become a part of this fellowship. Maybe some of you need to follow Christ in baptism or maybe today call on Christ for the first time. I just want to challenge you to give your best, come prepared each week, pick up the Baptist faith and message and read it, take notes, follow up with questions. Whatever God leads you to do, though, in response right now, your heart, or come forward, I just invite you to respond as we try to enter into this realm of teaching. Father, thank you for your word that is true. Lord, you know the challenges in which we Live the culture where we are, a culture that needs Jesus. We can't give them what we don't have and what we don't know well. So God, help us to grow, to be all that you want us to be. Help us as we make our way now to learn more about you through your perfect word. Change us, Jesus, that we can be the people you want us to be, that you can use. Help me, Lord, as I try to teach and study and to relate it to what's going on around us. Just give me your grace. Be with us now as we sing, Lord, and we thank you that we have that cross to keep coming to where we first saw the light. And Lord, we just pray we continue to see more and more of your light in Jesus' name.